It's time for JT the Brick. I'm working for free today. Get the blank out of here. The tackles that are coming into this program have now got to be. One of them's got to pop like Daryl Russell. One of them's got to pop. Who's it going to be? How long have we been waiting for a young defensive tackle to come in here since Daryl Russell and go, I got this. Don't take me off the field. I'm a beast. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll. I want an elite superstar, 25-year-old linebacker who's going to play five years in a row. You're going to pay him a new contract, and he's just great. This place hasn't done that well, and now Dave Ziegler probably could do a much better job at that position, I would believe, because the Patriots had a lot of good linebackers. Play that rant again. I'll get the hell out of here. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you, coming off Memorial Day. The Memorial Day weekend. Welcome into Raider Nation Radio on the Raiders mobile app, Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m., wherever you're listening. Hope you had a long holiday weekend with family and friends, and you're ready to roll here. I'm excited to be on the radio. As always, it was an unbelievable weekend here in Vegas, and we're brought to you by PTs, where I was at the SG Bar, not too far from my house, for a little bit pre-gaming on Saturday, one of the many taverns, one of the many great locations of PTs, 64-plus. Here in the Valley, they fuel the monologue, and they get you excited with the best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2, half-price drinks. Everybody tries to copy that. They, they can't copy that. That's the best happy hour in town. It gets voted that all the time. PTs, we appreciate their proud partnership with our show as we get rolling. Yeah, I hope you had a good weekend, and it was great. I went to the Eagles on Saturday night at MGM. Man, that was good. Just a great feel-good energy concert. Vince Gill on guitar, Don Henley, Joe Walsh, the Eagles, had a great night. Uh, That was a lot of fun. Saw Top Gun Maverick with the wife and boys last night. We had family movie night, and I don't remember the last time we did that pre-COVID, obviously, but to get back in a movie theater... And see a movie that great. I don't know. You probably saw it by now. No spoilers, but it's an action movie. (laughs) No spoilers there. But it was great. I had an unbelievable time. And Memorial Day, I worked the night before. I worked Memorial Day yesterday on Sirius XM. And yesterday was my 26-year anniversary on the radio. I started Memorial Day 1996 on Sports Fan Radio Network in Las Vegas. My first ever syndicated show that's where i hit the start clock and uh was on yesterday a lot of legendary fun callers from back in the day checked in so that was really cool a great backyard barbecue with friends in the neighborhood and i'm ready to roll here so i'm going to new york by the end of the week i got a big college reunion that's been delayed two years for covid so i'm going to see some of the dearest friends of my life at the end of the week we got raiders otas we got a show coming up on monday uh, next Monday, we're all, our entire lineup is going to be live from the Raiders headquarters, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. As there's some exciting news coming up here. So we'll all be in the building that day, and we're getting closer to this Raiders season, and I call it the Summer of Cliff. A lot of my programming on my show will be based around Cliff Branch and his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think it's a good idea. We have a lot of connections through Cliff through family and friends and former teammates. And it's shaping up to be arguably the biggest party in Raider history in Canton. And that says a lot. You know how many Raiders are in the Hall of Fame. You know how many legends are there. But for whatever reason, and it's a good reason, and Mark Davis's best friend was Cliff, this is a monster. This is a monster, and it's big. And it's really big. So Raider fans, not only your love for Cliff Branch, 
and the fact that you want to see him inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Cliff wants you there. You know, Cliff loved you. You all got a picture of Cliff Branch on your phone, right? With Cliff at a signing or with all three of his Super Bowl rings are. You met him somewhere at Ricky's back in the day or at a Raider game. Try to get out to Canton because it's going to be a huge party. And then I think it's going to roll into the regular season as we got road trips, which I'll be on in Nashville. It looks like New Orleans and our coverage at the Torch for the pregame show, the largest pregame show we're finding out. We're telling everybody that. Why wouldn't you? I don't know of a larger pregame show on all of NFL radio than what I do with Eric Allen at the Torch. And we have some new exciting additions to that show coming up. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about this season. I like the roster. And I think there's going to be another move. I don't know who the player is, but I believe that the Raiders are ready to pounce post-June 1st coming up here. Tashawn Reed put out a great column, which I retweeted uh, from The Athletic. And he tweeted, the Raiders receive an influx of $19.75 million in cap space tomorrow, according to Over the Cap. They have about $5.23 million in cap space right now. So this will give them close to $25 million to spend. And they put together a list of the best post-June 1st free agent fits. And what could happen there? You know, I'll let you read the article there because he put it out and it's his content. But I think the Raiders have got to come out of these next couple of days with an offensive lineman starter. I do. I, I really believe they have to do this. There's too much at stake. It's too good of a roster on both sides of the ball. It's an elite offense. It's an elite defensive line with Mad Max and Chandler Jones. Rocky Asin coming in as a cover corner who's coming into the prime of his career. Great special teams and a pro bowler and A.J. Cole and Daniel Carlson, who is outstanding. I know their running back room is loaded, absolutely loaded, so that's fine. The quarterback room is pretty loaded, and they even looked at Colin Kaepernick. But the Raiders should find a way to spend a little bit of money on a cut down. What I'm expecting to see is someone to be let go on a team, a cap casualty, in the next couple of days, and the Raiders just go, that's the guy we want, get him, sign him, bring him in, he's a starter. On the offensive line, or to compete with the depth on the offensive line. This isn't a bad old line, it's just not the strength of the team. And every team in sports, I don't care if it's the Warriors and the Celtics, and we're going heavy on that today. We're going heavy on the NBA today, so I know there's a lot of Warrior fans listening who are Raider fans. But every team, even the great teams, have a flaw or a weakness. You know, the Warriors are a little bit sloppy from time to time. If they miss their threes, they're just an above you know, average team. If they make their threes, they're unbeatable. The Raiders' flaw is their offensive line and has been the linebackers for a while. The linebackers hasn't been a strength of this team for a long time. When you got to go back to Kirk Morrison, friend of the show, and Greg Beekert, and you got to really look under a microscope to find linebackers who can play in this organization, sometimes linebackers get cut, right? Linebackers move. Bobby Wagner from Seattle to the world champion Rams. You know, the Raiders have been in that market over the decades. Al Davis was brilliant at it. Al Davis was amazing at finding linebackers who can make big plays like Matt Millen, okay, ones who were drafted or if they had to go out and get other ones. Remember the great Rod Martin? We see him all the time playmakers, guys who could make plays. And I think the Raiders added to their linebacker room, but they don't have an elite Pro Bowl linebacker other than Perryman who went to the Pro Bowl, and he seems good to go. He seems very humble 
and ready to play here. So I, I would hope that the Raiders come out of the next three, four, five days, whatever the calendar says, with an offensive lineman that you've heard of, which we have tape on. He's played five or six years in the league, and he's a plug-and-play guy. And he can play right tackle, right guard. He can play left guard. He can play backup center. I don't know what it is. The Raiders clearly uh, made a move with their first pick to go get an offensive lineman who can play multiple positions. I think they need a veteran because James as a center is not a veteran. Leatherwood is not a veteran. He's a work in progress. And the guys who have been banged up, Parker and Good, and players over the last couple of years, they're just guys. They're not Art Shell. I was talking to Raider Mort, the great Raider fan, and the legendary Hall of Fame Raider fan. He said, look, you know, the Raiders had Art Shell and Gene Upshaw on the left side. Those are the two of the greatest of all time. You'll never see that again. You don't see it again. You don't see it even in the NFL on teams that have two Pro Bowl players at the level of Gene Upshaw and Art Shell. And that doesn't go through the other guys who are really good. Henry Lawrence, John Vela, Dave Dalby. Go down the list of Raiders on the offensive line who can play. Steve Wisniewski, one of my all-time favorite Raiders. Raiders got to get better on the O-line after June 1st. And whoever the hell they bring in, I'm really cool with it. Just get a name in there. Give me a new name to talk about, a new plug-and-play guy who could start in that first game against the Chargers. And if not, get a roving linebacker who can do it or someone else. But the competition level in this organization is sky high. Uh, Mayock and Gruden, the good that they brought to the organization and competition and some of the players that worked out, and now there's a new regime, and I think Dave Ziegler's off to an amazing start. He's very sharp with the money, with the players he's bringing in, the concepts, and everybody knows what Josh McDaniels can do. There's never been a coach in NFL history dating back 100 years to leather helmets that had six Super Bowl rings coming into his here as a head coach all right so six and he's been a part of that because he coached up Brady quarterback coach uh, you know offensive coordinator under Belichick the experience he has he is up to snuff he can run a practice he can run an OTA in a minicamp because he's got all the notes all the film all the experience and he was a head coach obviously with Denver so I'm really cool with the fact that he is buttoned up and ready to go so it's been an interesting offseason as I was talking to a friend of mine about it over Memorial Day, it's been really quiet from a Raiders roster perspective, which I like. You know, not a lot of problems off the field. Everything's quiet. But two of the biggest stories in the NFL are Raiders related. John Gruden and the lawsuit takes the next step to go to trial. Massive story. Massive story. It's deeply tied to the Raiders because the Raiders were affected by those 650,000 emails that didn't affect Washington, where they came from, affected Mark Davis's team. So we need some clarity on that investigation. And that's a massive story. And then the other story was Colin Kaepernick, which was a big story last week, other than the NBA Finals and the European Championship uh, in soccer was the biggest story around the world in sports because everybody was able to look and hit some clickbait on Colin Kaepernick getting a workout with the Raiders and I've talked about that a little bit mostly on my national show on I think the big elephant in the room is why didn't Kaepernick get another workout after the Raiders that's the story that no one seems to be talking about other than wah me I mean it's the failure of Colin Kaepernick or his agent 
to not have a private jet waiting after the Raider workout that would take him to Houston, Carolina, New Orleans, Seattle. I don't know how the hell that happened. I, the, the Raiders give him a shot to play. Spike Lee's in the building. Everybody's all worked up about it, rightfully so. I believe he deserves a workout. I believe he can compete for any second-string quarterback role. He's too qualified to be a third-string. And then after that, the story's dead? Someone has failed Colin Kaepernick terribly because he should have had three workouts by the time I came back on the radio today after Memorial Day. Nothing. So the Raiders got some press out of it. I don't think they were looking for press. You saw Josh McDaniels, all the players, come to the podium and say, I have nothing to say. He's not on the team. They have nothing to say. I think it was very commendable for Mark Davis, who's inclusive like his dad, to want to see him and have this happen. I'm all cool with that. But nothing's changed since that, which is surprising to me. And that's a failure at the level of the hype that Kaepernick was able to bring on Sports Center and all the national outlets. And then it, it just died. That can't happen when you're a professional, when you're an organization, when you have agents, when you have people, trainers, and working for you. You got to go from one workout to the next. And that didn't happen. So with the next couple of days, as we're on the radio, the lineups on the radio here, I, I, my big thing is going to be before the next media session where the media gets to see the team is who's the player coming in. As we said, the Raiders have some cap space, and I think it's important that they use it. Now, remember, the other elephant in the room for some is the extensions to Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller with some of the money, and I'm fine with that too. I don't talk money when it comes to players because they listen to the show and I interview them. And if they deserve the money, and Hunter does, and Darren does, whatever they negotiate with their agents and the team, they'll figure that out on their own. But that's, that's a pretty big topic, too. So I think the Raiders, the Devontae Adams move coming in, Chandler Jones, how they're just lunch pal guys who show up to work. They don't need any hype around them. We know Derek Carr is the pure example of that. Derek, does anybody love the offseason more than Derek Carr when it comes to working out? off the field, on the field, in the film room. And I'm assuming Derek's had a really tough run here, not, not, a, not bringing it in, but just a lot of work because he's got to look at this new playbook. And Derek Carr every year seems to have a new offensive coordinator or a new head coach or something unique that he's got to deal with. So I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know this, that Derek is in overdrive now trying to get the verbiage of this down so he could be at his best in the preseason because he's not going to play. I doubt he's going to play. But he has to take all the reps in practice so he's ready to play because the Raiders open up against Justin, <laughs> Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray. I mean, you got to be good to go. It's got to be get to the line, get to the line, no huddle, go, go, go. You're going up against Herbert and Kyler Murray. All those guys do is get to the line and attack. They just attack. And I think the only way the Raiders are going to be able to win, this is an improved defense roster-wise, but the quarterback, who is very, very good, the quarterback has to outplay some of the best quarterbacks, mano a mano, one-on-one this year. And I'm confident he could do it in every game. Played good enough to beat Herbert and knock the Chargers out of the postseason. And Kyler Murray starting to become more of a distraction. The home opener for the silver and black will be against Arizona. They won't have DeAndre Hopkins. When you look at the situation with that team, I think the Raiders, that's a must-win game. That's a must-win game. It's the home opener. 
And that's another topic we'll get to a little bit later on. The games that are must win and the games that they have to win because they're at home. And there's only eight home games this year. Remember last year we had the extra home game. Speaking of the Cardinals, Jeff Gladney passed away, died in a car accident late Sunday night into Monday morning. Uh, The Cardinals cornerback, who was a first-round pick, really devastating news here. Devastating news. The Cardinals released a statement yesterday confirming his death. Quote, we are devastated to learn of Jeff Gladney's passing. Our hearts go out to his family, friends, and all who are mourning this tremendous loss. There's a lot of people really struggling with the loss of this young man. And a lot of Arizona Cardinals and Vikings tweeted out about this and the rest of his NFL brothers, everyone around the league. So rest in peace to Jeff Gladney, who lost his life over Memorial Day weekend. Really tough. There's always a story. There's always an uncomfortable story after a long holiday weekend. And that was one of them there. All right. If you want to get in here on what you think the Raider priority should be with their cap space, their added cap space, I'd like to keep it really simple. If you have a player or you have a position group, we touched on this a week or two ago, but we're right here. We're up against the date where we can pounce on this. 702-365-9200 is the number. Uh, Mark Patterson is going to join us. This is a guy who climbs the biggest mountains in the world. What a story. What an unbelievable story. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, he joins us usually every Tuesday or every other Tuesday. He has the moving odds on the Warriors and the Celtics in the NBA Finals. We'll get into that. Amy Purdy, who's getting into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. Her story could be one of the most unique you've ever heard. I hope I do a good job in the interview and tell you about this young heroic lady who is coming on. You want to talk about someone who has been able to get past some difficulties in life. She could be on the Mount Rushmore of that in general. And then uh, we got a, uh, Gary Washburn's going to join us from the Boston Globe. Uh, he's an insider for the NBA. So I'm packed today because that's what we're doing. It's a heavy NBA couple of days here because the NBA finals are upon us. And I love the matchup. Love the matchup. And for all the Raider fans who are Warrior fans, now the Warriors have to earn it. The Warriors have had a cupcake Walk in the park in the postseason. Memphis without John Morant, who wasn't 100% and missed a game, and the Dallas Mavericks instead of the Phoenix Suns. That is not the fault of the Warriors. They did nothing wrong. They play who's in front of them. But it can't be an easier path. The only dynasty-type team that continually had an easier path than the Warriors was the New England Patriots under Tom Brady and Belichick, for 19 years when they played in that god-awful division when Buffalo sucked, the Jets were terrible, and Miami were awful, Tommy Brady every year showed up in August knowing he was going to have a home playoff game, a home bye week, and only had to win one game, one game, the AFC championship game at home before he would play in the Super Bowl. Now, one of the things I wanted to remind you about that is it wasn't Brady's fault. He was just superior. And then he ran into Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Joe Flacco. So he ran into a good Ravens team. He ran into a really good team when you look at the history of the AFC and Peyton Manning and the Colts in Denver. But mostly, for 19 years, Brady had it pretty easy. But when he got to the Super Bowl, man, the Patriots struggled. Let's look back on that. They were down 28-3 to to Atlanta. It's the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. They almost lost to Jake DeLome and Donovan McNabb. Brady lost twice to Eli Manning and once to Nick Foles. 
and played in the worst Super Bowl ever played where he barely beat Jared Goff. Remember that stinker? So for the Patriots, all the work was done in the Super Bowl because those were the games where they were under duress. And I hope that happens for the Warriors. If the Warriors end up winning, I hope they earn it because now they are just loosely going through the postseason without a pressure in the world. The Warriors haven't been under pressure since the start of the postseason, and the Celtics have been under pressure in every game, every game. Uh, They put away in a sweep a really good Brooklyn team, we thought, but they're a mental head case, and those four games were decided by 18 points. Then they had to go through Milwaukee. How difficult is that? The reigning champs in Milwaukee, and then they had to go up against the one seed in Miami, and it went to seven games. So that's been a really tough road for Boston, but Boston now gets to the NBA Finals going up against the Warriors, and I think it's incredible. I've been looking at the matchups of this, and the matchups are unbelievable. Look at the players who are playing in this series. Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, Marcus Smart, Clay Thompson, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Jordan Poole, OMG, these teams are bleeping loaded. And I think the key to the series is Marcus Smart. He's the defensive player of the year, the best defender, and he's a guard. And that's a perfect scenario. He's not a center. He's not a power forward. He's a guard. And the only way to beat the Warriors is if you have to slow down Steph and Clay. If Clay ends up getting hot and Steph isn't hot, the Warriors will win. If Steph's hot and Clay's not hot, the Warriors will win. If they're both hot, Steph and Clay, it's over. But if one of them's off and the other guy's being covered by Marcus Smart, we got a series, everybody, and it could be a memorable one. It could be a memorable one. A couple of the sound bites that became the highlights of the game. Tatum is a brilliant player. This step back three in the fourth quarter kept the lead. Smart right hand dribble in the paint over the shoulder pass. Tatum against Struce. Tatum steps to his left, forces a three. I got it! That was a beautiful shot there. That was a clutch shot late in the game. And then Jimmy Butler had an opportunity to win the game. He thought he took a three, which is one of the more debatable missed shots that I've covered in my career. I mean, everybody's talking about the fact that Jimmy Butler had no one under the basket to rebound. He had Al Horford on him, and he decided to take a three instead of attacking the rim because they only needed two points to tie it. Here's how it sounded. 20 seconds to go. Jimmy, the three off the foot of the rim. It gets knocked away. They got a foul smart, and they do. That was incredible to see that happen. If he hits that shot, and, and really the debatable topic, everybody, that comes off that Butler miss was should he took the shot or not? And in theory, yeah, he's the best player. He can take any shot he wants. And it was a clean three, but he didn't need it. And that's why this is such a juicy, debatable topic because the league's out of control now. Everybody just shoots threes. Even when they don't need a three, they feel like they can. Everybody feels entitled to shoot threes with no one under the basket to rebound. The stars do it. The scrubs do it. The backups do it. Everybody does it. Everybody has a green light to shoot a three. If that was the old days in basketball and Magic Johnson was down two, what would he have done? Anybody? He would have pounded the ball into Kareem, and Kareem would have attacked the rim to try to tie the game, the sky hook, whatever it was. Even Larry Bird, if he didn't have an open three, he'd get it to Parrish or McHale to try to tie the game. Now just shoot threes. 
and Butler missed that. And because of that, the Celtics go on and win. Final call as the Celtics win the East. Al Horford, the clock has hit triple zeros, and the ball ends up in the hands of Al Horford, who goes to the NBA Finals for the first time as one of the greatest road seasons in NBA history now has its signature moment. The Celtics are Eastern Conference champions. Uh, Celtics radio on the call. So tremendous for a player like Al Horford. What about Al Horford who's never been to the NBA Finals? What an elite postseason he had. This will be a great matchup. This guy Horford going up against Draymond. Just doesn't know how to act. (laughs) They're just, you know what I'm saying, Just, just caught up, excited. Um, you know, a lot of hard work. Uh, I, I've been a, a part of a lot of great teams, a lot of great teammates, and, um, and I'm so proud of this group. So I wanted to get that in the monologue as we kick off the show brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. Hopefully you had a responsible Remy Martin cocktail in your hand. The botanist is a new gin, part of the family here. Cool, refreshing. We'll be talking about that all year, especially this summer if you're looking for a new cocktail. Can't wait to talk to a legend a man who has climbed, the NFL player to climb seven summits. And we haven't talked to him in a while. Mark Patterson is going to join us. Jeff Sherman, your phone calls on Raider priorities. I mean, that's all I got with the Raiders. What do you want from me? And you want me to break down, what, practice squad cornerbacks? We got to figure out who's coming in. Who's the next piece for the Raiders climb coming off 10 wins to go deeper into the postseason? Who's that player? How important is it? They got the cash to do it. Let's see them pounce on Raider Nation Radio. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. That's what you want. You know, that's what you want, ultimately. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly, you know, there's there's an element of direction and, and those kind of things, but um, when they understand what the standard is and they realize that they're not living up to it, um, you know, that, you know that, that means you got them, you know, thinking the right things, you know, and... Uh, if there's anything I can say about this group, I think they believe in, in, in themselves, their teammates, what they're doing, how they work, and, um, and they want to put their best foot forward every day. And so uh, when they don't, you know, I think they, they recognize that and they know they can do better, and, and they will. It's Josh McDaniels, new head coach of the Silver and Black. JT, back with you, brought to you by Grimaldi's, best pizza I ever had. Four locations in the Valley. Catch me at Boca Park. Come on out there for unbelievable pizza. I am so excited from Mark Patterson, who's kind enough to join us, friend of the show for a long time, former NFL wide receiver, Raider wide receiver, and he just won a sports Emmy Award for his role in NFL 360, searching for the summit. Mark, great to talk to you again, and congratulations on the Emmy. This is a really big deal. I'm happy for you. I can't even believe it just happened. It was exactly seven days ago, and I was going back and forth whether or not I should either fly back to New York City and is it going to be a waste of my, my money. And, and then who knows, I'd be standing on the stage accepting this amazing award. It's just really a surreal moment to me. What is it like when you're nominated and you look at the other nominees? Because your story is very unique. 
with what you're doing climbing these global summits. And you, I would think you'd have an advantage over some of the other documentaries because of the degree of difficulty and your quest. What were you thinking about it leading up to the event and the announcement? Well, you know, I was kind of thinking about it in those same that same context. You know, it was so different than anything anybody else had done. Of course, we're talking about uh, climbing the seven summits. Last year, you and I talked up. I got back from Mount Everest, and I successfully climbed that mountain. And then the NFL had come along, you know, in January of 2021. I left for Everest the beginning of April of 2021. And, uh, you know, they made this beautiful film. And, you know, it's really not about an old jock that's climbing these mountains. It's really about this beautiful story on, one, how I got healed through the mountains. And, number two, how my daughter Amelia um, overcame her epilepsy. She, I guess, technically still has it, but she has not had a seizure in over a year and a half. We're talking about daily seizures up to 10, which, you know, in, in the day would be considered a win if she just had 10 seizures. If you can imagine that. And, and at the same time, you know, you know, you look at these other films, you know, three of them in, in the category of best film were created by the, by ESPN. And there was a UFC thing in there, and there's one that's so tough competition. They're all worthy stories, and somehow or another, you know, we pulled out the win. Mark Patterson's our guest, former Raider receiver. You also had a nomination, I believe, for camera work. Is that correct? Yeah, no, it was crazy because uh, last year, you know, I'm not a camera guy, I'm not an actor, I don't do films, all that kind of stuff. And and so uh, prior to going to, well, actually really going back to when the NFL came over here last February 2021, and they did a lot of filming here in Sun Valley, Idaho. So it's mountainous, it's snowy, and it's all those things. You, you can create a lot or recreate a lot. And we did that. And then uh, off I went to, to Mount Everest. And because of covid as we all think back, you know, to those times, you know, the world was more or less still shut down and NFL security shut down their ability to fly with me to the mountain and do a lot of filming up there. And so they equipped me with uh, multiple GoPros I put on my shoulder and and uh, on my chest. And so I did much of that up for best cinematography, which was crazy, again, just to be because I'm not a cameraman. But I just every single day I just push, you know, play, go and up the mountain I'd go. And, and there's actually one of the opening scenes is where I end up falling um, off uh, a ladder about 20 feet upside down in the Kumba Icefall into a crevasse. And it's a crazy scene, a crazy moment. And um, I didn't even realize that I'd actually captured this, but, you know, it was sitting on my shoulder and I fell off and it was crazy. And, and um, yeah, it was part of the film and just another amazing moment to capture some of that footage up on, uh, up on Mount Everest. Mark Patterson is our guest, former NFL receiver and now Emmy Award winner. Incredible backstory. Hey, Mark, I didn't ask you, how many friends have you made over your career as a climber at base camps and in these villages and travel when you wait for weather and you're in a restaurant or you're in a hotel? I mean, I can't imagine the relationships that you've made and been able to build on around the world. That's a great question, JT. And, you know, another part of that, too, is just the perspective that you get when you go to – uh, Africa, as I did with Chris Long, you know, of course, Howie's um, son, one of the sons, um, with, with water boys, and, you know, we end up in the Serengeti, and we end up in these villages, and we end up, you know, raising all this money so that they can build water wells and see what life is like for them, you know, living in these these, these little wooden huts with no floors, dirt, and they're happiest people ever. Uh, the average income uh, with the uh, uh, Sherpa in Nepal, uh, the people that help shepherd us up and down the mountain, you know, safely, as safe as can be, 
but you know their average salary per year is, is six thousand dollars, and yet they're the most happy people. And so there's definitely a correlation. So when I start talking about being grateful and that appreciation, it, I think there's through the through the sense of, of travel, it has certainly given me a better perspective on just seeing people in a different light and being accepting of of, of all races and, and gender and everything else that falls in that category. Mark Patterson's our guest. How has your recovery been? I was reading up about you going snow blind, run out of oxygen, not eating at times for three days. You're in a cyclone. What is it like your recovery after these big climbs? And I think our listeners would like to know when it comes to oxygen, getting back to a certain altitude, what is that like for you physically and mentally? Well, it took me quite a while to get over it. You know, I really took myself to the very edge, and I'm talking the edge of the edge, and I'd never been to that space before. And, you know, training camps are hard, certainly, when you're going through with the Raiders or any other organization or what, but you're not going to die, right? You can mm-hmm. take a timeout. You can get water. And when you're at 29,032 feet and you run out of oxygen and have gone snow blind, you know, it took me probably two months to get over that. And another thing that I didn't realize, and I, I think you and I talked relatively soon after I'd come back to the States and, and I'd landed and I'd come off that trip, but I had literally forgot about many of the different traumatic things I'd gone through because when I got back to my tent, now at 26,000 um, feet, 26,500 feet, I'd run out of oxygen on the mountain. I got back to my tent. We were going to spend the night there, which I did, and I ran out of oxygen again around 10 p.m., and another crazy storm hit us. And uh, that the net-net is that I ended up sleeping the entire night at 26.5 with no O's. And I was hallucinating. I was trying to get out of my tent. I, actually, I did climb out of my tent at one point. I was barefoot. I was running all over uh, the, the, the camp up there trying to, to find some tanks. I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find my tent how to get back, and there's a dead guy laying next to ours six feet away. So it's just, it's such a surreal, crazy time. And my brain literally blocked out those moments when I was on the mountain. And to come back and two months later be sitting at a restaurant with somebody and they were asking me about it and having recollect those moments in that time, in that space, was just like, it, it was very emotional. You know, it's just like, I almost, I can't believe I'm actually sitting here having dinner in Sun Valley again after I just went through that. My body was torn up. I lost 30 pounds. And so it was a tough thing. It was a tough thing. What do you do when people say, Mark Patterson's our guest, when they think and they know that you cheated death, you went up to the edge, you went farther than the edge and all that, and some people think you're an adrenaline junkie. Not everybody understands the depth of your sport. Do they look at you differently when you tell these stories? Because you're a great motivational speaker. I would assume uh, finishing up Mount Everest in 2021 is this part of your new speaking tour when you talk about death and being that close to it. Well, I mean, I think it's all, we all have a story, and that's part of mine. And, mm-hmm. you know, I talk about it in more measured risk. And, I'll, and I'll, unfortunately, today there's a, there's a guy that lives here in Sun Valley, and it's, it's uh, that the, the rivers have been raging. There's been a ton of rain that we've had. There's snow melting out of the mountains and coming down. And, you know, this guy that I know is a extreme risk taker, and he decided to go kayaking, and, and his life ended yesterday because he drowned. And, you know, I, you know, I feel awful and it's a horrible story and everything else, but he, he'd be like, if, if, if there was a huge snowstorm and then it warmed up to 45 degrees, you're going to have massive avalanche danger. And so what I like to think about is like, this is for me, it's measured risk. You know, 
we, we, we tried not to be climbing. We'd stay in our tents until we could see the radar and everything else that we go up into, you know, these different there. Yeah, they're dangerous, but there was times when it's mission critical weather. When I was on Denali in 2019, um, or I'm sorry, 2017, I ended up not being able to summit because it was minus 80 degrees. And so we got pushed back. I had to come back the year after. So you got to know when to go. Mm-hmm. You got to know when to call it. And, and there's always another day to go. You don't have to go on that day. Nicely say, uh, said, Mark Patterson, as we wrap it up, give him a follow, please, and see this gentleman's great story and how he lives life to the fullest. Once a Raider, always a Raider. It's Mark Patterson, NFL is where to follow him. What's your next project? What's your next goal? What are you looking to do next? Well, that's a great question. I'm headed over to uh, Europe. I'm going to be in uh, Chamonix, which is in France, to climb Mount Blanc, and then I'm going to go down the street about an hour and a half away to Zermont and climb the, the infamous or famous uh, Matterhorn, um, trying to get the, the NFL to follow me on that one as well and create a story. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I've got two more mountains, big mountains coming up, and I'm training hard and I'm back at it. And I just made a commitment to myself that kind of going forward, I'm not going to do anything that requires long-term suffering and that mm. I can, you know, mountains that I can click off in a weekend or, you know, 12 days or something like that, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be within my wheelhouse now. Well, Mark, and I see on Instagram and also on your Twitter feed that your daughter's studying in Rome. That's got to be something you're super proud about. Well, what I'm more proud about, again, and this is where it's such a miracle of this movie and this film and this journey that we've been on. She, you know, she's 23 years old now, and and uh, she started having seizures, daily seizures, when she was eight, and she's not now had a seizure for a year and a half. And, you know, it became mission critical for her to get through the University of Arizona, and she's going through her first and last uh, couple of, of credits and, you know, there's a point two years ago where I had to fly over to Tucson and pull her out of school, and she lost all those, those credits because she just couldn't function. And she, you know, her whole system was out of whack. And so to see her go through graduation, the emotional moment, that was a big, I mean, talk about Mount Everest for her. That was just a huge hurdle. And now for her to be able to go to Rome and do semester abroad and be living her best life right now, it's just, it's, it's you know, as close to a miracle as I could ask for. So really grateful for that. Am I assuming I'm going to catch you here at a Raider game or two here coming up at Allegiant Stadium? What's your schedule look like this year when, you, when you're not climbing? Hey, let me tell you, anytime the Raiders call, I will, I will deliver. I will come. I love that place. I love the Raider. All the Raider alumni uh, are just amazing. I was just on the phone a couple of days ago with Jerry Robinson. I know you're good buddies with him. Yep. One of the best guys around. And, you know, guys like him are the reason why I want to keep coming to ground. Every single time I show up, they always make me feel like family. Whenever I see you, same deal. And it's just a great time. And, and to be associated with the Raiders is, is just unbelievable. You know, I played with the Saints for a couple of years, and the Saints are a great organization, great organization as they are. But, you know, they don't, and I've heard this from other organizations, they just don't have the same kind of relationships mm-hmm. and the commitment to excellence like Mark Davis. You know, I just got an email the other day, Cliff Branson being inducted uh, in Canton, as you know, and uh, Mark Davis has invited the guys who play with Cliff to come down and he pay for the hotels and tickets and things like that. And it's just, yeah. you know, who else does that? You know, it's just amazing to be associated with them. So it's another one of those things in my life that's been, become a blessing, a huge blessing. Thanks, Mark. We got to run. Really appreciate your time. I love what you're doing in life. Congratulations on the Emmy, and I hope to see you real soon. JT, you're the man. I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. Mark Patterson, if you look at the Mount Rushmore of Raider storytellers and stories in Raider history, that guy. Put him on the list. 
climbed seven summits, including Mount Everest. Just won an Emmy Award for it. You'll see it on NFL Network. Make sure you DVR it and find it. Also, the link at Raiders.com. Incredible. We have another amazing athlete at the top of the hour, Amy Purdy, who's getting into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. She lost both her legs below the knee, and she's a great snowboarder. And her story as it's an inspirational story. Looking forward to that conversation at the top of the hour. Jeff Sherman on the NBA Finals and how to bet it. That's coming up next. That's our identity. It's kind of what we hang our hat on. And when you look at our team across the board, very high-level defenders, you know, first team, second team guy, defensive player year, all five starters getting a first-place vote. So um, they've all bought into that and uh, love them for that. Emmy Adoga, the head coach of the Celtics, what a job he did. JT, back with you. Amy Purdy at the top of the hour. Tuesdays for Jeff Sherman, VP of Risk Management over at the Westgate. And we get a chance to preview game one and the series of the NBA Finals with them. So, Jeff, good to start off with you. Let's talk about the series price in game one. I see you had it initially here. It's three and a half over at the Westgate as the Warriors are a favorite in game one. Yeah, pretty solid three and a half. We're getting good two-way on that. We did open the total to ten and a half, and I've seen it bump up to two eleven and a half. And as far as the series price goes, it's fluctuated a little bit. You know, last week when I had the look-ahead price up, we had Golden State minus 140, Boston plus 120. That's kind of indicative of what I think it should be. We're seeing like around $1.60 on Golden State. We're currently minus 165, Boston plus 145. I'm interested on game one here as it went from the open of three and most places to three and a half, and I see where you have it at the Westgate. And this game is fascinating to me because of Boston playing back-to-back seven-game series, the travel, traveling back to Boston, traveling out to the Bay Area, to San Francisco, the fact that they're still coming off the high of winning a seven-game series on the road and the Warriors having all of this rest. Was this a tough game to handicap? Because I thought the number could be over three-and-a-half, maybe four, four-and-a-half. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to get that high. I think you'd mm-hmm. see a lot of Boston support plus four. Uh, we've okay. already seen some sharp support on the Celtics money line at plus 145. So we're sitting at minus 60 plus 40. And if we were to go higher, I'd expect more. So I think three and a half is the high point. And just as you mentioned, the travel aspect, you know, Boston does have the three-day gap. So it's not like some of the prior series where it was mm-hmm. a one- or two-day turnaround. So they got a little bit extra rest. And I think, though, with the situation that you just talked about, Boston playing game seven, having to travel a bit. It is a little bit higher, and I'd expect game two to be a little bit less. Jeff, Golden State had one no-show game against Memphis where they got blown out. John Morant wasn't at 100% and even missed a game in that series. And then they had a much easier road with Dallas because most people thought they'd face Phoenix, and a lot of people, including myself, thought Phoenix was the better team clearly all year long. What's the liability like with the Warriors? They're a very popular team along the way, and they had a very easy road to get here. Well, they were the team that I opened aggressively low when I put the futures up last year, and I had them at 8-1, to one, and you could have found them in double digits in some places. So uh, that helped our position. We did take a $50,000 wager at 9-2 to two in January on them, and it's interesting from the Celtics side because they were as high as 150 to 1 in January when they were under 500. Yeah. And we only, we only had one $5 ticket on them at those odds, but we're in much better position on the Celtics. 
Uh, we're a small winner to the Warriors just because of that large wager we took, but they were a team that I tried to stay aggressive with just how the West was going to play out this year. Jeff Sherman joins us. An individual player props. Everybody's excited about how many points Curry can get, Poole can get, Tatum. Uh, what is the handle going to be like with player props here, considering there's so many stars, so many well-recognized offensive players? Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be great this series, just as you mentioned with the players that are recognizable. We have Curry already up at 27.5, Jason Tatum at 28.5, Jalen Brown at 24.5, and, and we have 40 props, and we have any, even more in our non-Nevada jurisdictions where you can combine some, but the player props were, will excel at this time, and plus the uh, finals MVP is already seeing a lot of support through that market. Jeff Sherman is our guest from the Westgate. It was interesting watching you over the Charles Schwab Challenge over there at the Colonial and watch that golf event and to see what happened on the back nine as everybody started to go backwards and Todd was already there in the clubhouse and I'm watching this in the locker room and Scotty Scheffler really had a great opportunity, the world number one out on the golf course with several holes in front of him. That back nine was a bear. Yeah, it was, and it was tough conditions, a little bit windier. So, yeah, everybody went backwards, and uh, it was a tough playoff, and Sam Burns came from behind to get there and ultimately win it. And we had a, a playoff price up with it, too, which we always do. So anytime that we go to a playoff, we put a live price up if anyone wants to get involved. Uh, let's move on to the Stanley Cup as you updated that a few hours ago. The Avalanche, Tampa Bay, Edmonton, and the Rangers. The Rangers coming in, and we know – we know about sports betting now in New York as it's legal here, and the Ranger fans <laughs> willing to pounce on all this. You have them plus 600. Uh, looks like the Avalanche, a heavy favorite here, huh? Yeah, we have Colorado plus 110, Tampa plus 245, Edmonton plus 550, and the Rangers a long shot at plus 600. And we did have liability throughout the season on the Rangers. They were extremely popular this year, mm-hmm. and they were around the 25-1 to 1 range early in the season. But um, – w- we are seeing a lot of Tampa support in the series price. We opened Tampa minus 175 with the Rangers plus 155, and it's moved up five cents, and the public is betting Tampa in the series. This Edmonton team's amazing how fast they are along with Colorado. Tough series to handicap here because, again, McDavid and his ability to take over a series potential if he gets hot. Yeah, a complete contrast to the uh, Eastern Conference one as far as scoring goes. We have a total of seven in game one of the Edmonton-Colorado series, so... Uh, we are seeing the public on the Colorado side. We were in the dollar seventy range on Colorado. It's up to eighty five with that game uh, about to go tonight. And Jeff, finally, baseball. Can you add something on the way out? Dodgers, Yankees. Anything moved since the last time we talked to you a week ago in regards to a shorter price for one of the big teams? Uh, those teams have been pretty constant. We've seen some movement recently on the Angels. How they've been sustaining it up in their division, and the public is getting behind the Angels with their lineup that they've. Uh, you know, not like years past, but it's uh, they're they're extremely popular this year and have been over the last week. Oh, and finally, your expertise here—the match over at the win with the famous quarterbacks there. What is that lo- looking like? What's the handle like for that? I know a lot of fans will be tuning in. Yeah, that that action is starting to heat up now. You know, okay. I opened Brady and Rogers a two-dollar favorite with Allen and Mahomes plus one seventy-five, and it was pretty quiet until the last few days, and now we've seen some sharp play recently on the underdog Allen Mahomes. So the price is down to. Minus 175 on Brady Rogers, plus 155 Allen Mahomes. Thank you, Jeff. Always appreciate it. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy your trip. Okay, thanks, JT. Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate. Hope you enjoy that. That's the guy. That's the guy with Jay Cornegay setting the odds on the biggest events in sports. And the match is going to be interesting. Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, and Josh Allen in Derek Carr's backyard. 
and I'm not privy to any information here, but Derek's playing a lot of golf. He got a hole-in-one recently. Derek's going to be asked to play in this thing at some point. He is. There's no doubt in my mind that Derek Carr, who's probably as good, I don't know exactly what his handicap is, but he's watching Josh Allen and Mahomes, along with two legends in Aaron Rodgers and Brady, and we've seen other quarterbacks play in this. I don't know when Derek's going to get the call, but they love playing this event out here in Vegas because of the gambling capabilities of it and the golf course. Now that they moved it from Shadow Creek over to win when we had Tiger and Phil Mickelson, it's a big day tomorrow on TNT. I like it. And I like to watch it. At times, it could be fun to hear the open microphones and what they have to say. Uh, last time they had Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. They don't like each other. They still don't like each other. They respect because they're on the same Ryder Cup team. But they don't like each other. And Brooks Kepka buried DeChambeau and loved it. So I'm looking forward to watching that. That's in town tomorrow at the win. I think it's 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Amy Purdy from the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, a very inspirational athlete I'd love you to listen to next. JT, here we go. Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of the Silver and Black.